0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Good evening. Thank you for being here tonight. Let us see where we're at. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel again, chapter 1, verses 23 through 28. And then we'll pick up again next Wednesday um, as well. Uh, in honor of this Sunday's Father's Day, um, I have a question for you. What did the buffalo say to its son before it left for school? The answer is, by son. bye, son, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bad, I guess. But again, a, a, a dad joke. You know, yesterday I had opportunity to take my, my granddaughter and my grandson who live in Phoenix. They're out visiting for the, for the, for the week. They return at the end, conclusion of the week. And, um, and so we're at the zoo, and there's some new features there. Uh, um, and we uh, are enjoying looking at the animals, and sometimes, in all honesty, looking for the animals uh, in each of their enclosures, you know, studying, you know, the different... Uh, enclosures and looking for the animals. And, and it, there's, an excitement, there's an excitement that you derive from being someplace with children. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about, but uh, just appreciating their excitement, their ability to run from one enclosure to the next, something that I lost a long time ago, and, and then just their joy, uh, their joy. And I want you to know that as we gather here tonight, Maranatha online those who are out on Solomon's porch and those of us that are here I want you to know that the father is here And he derives joy from being in your presence tonight Our takeaway is Jesus's authority is seen in his obedience As we look at Jesus within the pages of the gospel when we read in Paul's letters of all that he has accomplished We see that he has a level of authority that's associated only with God. But listen, in his humanity, he walked in perfect obedience to the Father. So we see his deity, we see his majesty, we see his perfection. But we also see him obeying the Father. And there's a level of authority and power in that. So tonight as we begin, Jesus' ministry in Caper- Capernaum excuse me, remains the backdrop of our time together. In fact, there's some carryover from last week in that Jesus is teaching. You remember if you were here last week, if not, and you look at the previous verses, Jesus is teaching in a way that caused the people who were present in that particular synagogue to be amazed or to ponder his identity. You and I could go to Capernaum tonight. If you want to get some great hummus and olive oil, I tell you what, we need to go to Israel. Um, but we could go to Capernaum tonight. They're on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we would find a synagogue, the ruins of a synagogue, some columns, some, some etching. And, and the synagogue remains or um, excavation that's there now dates to the s- latter part of the second and the third century. They could tell by the building material. But what they've done is they've dug down a little bit deeper and have found the synagogue that Jesus is likely teaching in and where we'll see that he delivers a man from a demon. And by by estimating the square footage of the remains, probably about 150 people would gather on a regular basis in in this synagogue. It's important for us to know that Capernaum is Peter's hometown. Uh, This is uh, where he lived, and that um, these are his people. These are his people, we would say, and this is where he would worship. I want you to remember, too, that although Mark pens the gospel, he's relating to us Peter's reflecting on what took place. That is, that as he accompanied Peter in various areas, uh, geographically of worshiping and communicating the truth of Jesus, Mark would recall what Peter had shared. Tonight we consider a story that reveals Jesus' power over evil. And, and, and this should dial in with us because we see evil around us. We see evil around us and so there should be an interest in our hearts and mind, minds as we see Jesus dealing with, with this representation of evil. As Jesus explains explains scripture to the people, one of Peter's neighbors comes under the control of a demon. Of a, specifically we're told that it's an unclean spirit. I want you to remember this. What we have before us tonight as we go over these handful of verses is a clear representation of the kingdom of darkness yielding to God's presence. The disruption is the result of an evil presence that recognizes Jesus' authority to execute judgment. That's what we're going to read about tonight, that Jesus is judging and has judged these fallen spirits. The Spirit fully understands that the, what no one else in the room has fully embraced, and that is that Jesus, re, Jesus is deity, that is, he is God. People are in the process of coming to this conclusion, but they haven't arrived there yet. And, and, and I find that you and I, who, have, who know the soul, story, so to speak, well, we not only know the story within the pages of Scripture, but we have experienced Jesus. We have experienced his deliverance from the kingdom of darkness. But these people are being exposed to it for the very, very first time. They may know about it theologically, that the Messiah is coming. We talked a little bit about last week how they were anticipated a political kingdom and yet he would bring a spiritual kingdom, but we have a firmer grasp on what's taking place. So then why does Mark share this story? He wants us to know two things. First, that the kingdom of God displaces the kingdom of darkness. This is what always happens. The kingdom of God, Jesus's presence, Jesus's rule in your life and in this world will always displace the kingdom of darkness. Please notice as we make our way through this that apart from the demon's tantrum, it pitches a bit of a tantrum, that this account is a slam dunk. Jesus doesn't do battle with the devil. He simply speaks to it, and it's gone. Second thing Mark wants us to know and to see tonight as we gather is God's willingness to deliver people from evil. God's compassion, Jesus' compassion to free those who are oppressed. So I want to give you three passages and they should come up on the screen for you. I see it as three truths. So the first truth is this, and you're familiar with this verse. It comes from a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. It is towards the conclusion of the letter. Obviously when he wrote this letter there were no chapters or verses, but we use them for our own benefit, our own convenience. But listen to these words. And I would not be surprised if everybody in the room is quite familiar with these words where Paul says, finally, this is what Danny Ramos says about halfway through his Bible study, finally be strong in the Lord. Derive your strength from the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole or the complete armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the strategies or the plans of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That is, our battle ultimately is not physical. It's not against people. It's not against countries. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. These are spiritual entities that exist in the atmosphere around us. I hope I'm not losing you. But our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. A darkness that Peter tells us is slowly fading away now. Over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly heavenly places. Because this is all true, Paul says in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done so to stand firm. Paul is telling you and I that based on what Christ Jesus has done for us, we can stand victoriously against all of these levels of principalities. That you and I do not walk in fear of them, but that in Christ Jesus, we can stand. So the little guys, My grandson, I only have one grandson, had no sons, no sisters, but the little guy stands about this tall. And there's a sense, I'm not around him a lot. Obviously, he lives in another state. Think about him all the time. Actually, Wanda and I, not too long ago, were able to go out to Phoenix and watch him play a, a baseball game, which was a lot of fun. But he is my grandson. And when I am around him, I love, I love to be with him I love to, to make sure that he's happy. I love to maybe some time to time give him a little uh, gentle guidance or correction. I love him. I have authority in his life because I am committed to caring for him and loving him. However, if his parents are in the room, story's a little different. Yeah, Grandpa's wallet doesn't come out quite as often as I would like it to. But he is my grandson. He belongs to me. If any danger were to represent itself to him, it would come through me. And God here tonight says that I have fashioned and created you and I will protect you and watch over you. You have nothing to fear. Let me look at this second truth. It's a little shorter from Colossians chapter 1. And I've shared this with you before because it so impresses me. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we have everything we need to withstand evil in Colossians, the second truth in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, he, God, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us or translated us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You tonight, if you trust in Jesus, you belong to Jesus. He is your protector. He watches over you. Then verse 14 says, in whom, Jesus, we have redemption, which should be significant for those of us who made our way through the book of Ruth, the forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven of your sins in Christ Jesus. We talked a little bit about that last week. Looking into the tabernacle, looking through the eastern gate, through the tabernacle, looking at the altar where sacrifice was offered for sin on behalf of a nation. And you and I have had our sins dealt with, not on an altar, but on a cross, which is, allows us to look into the holy place. If the, if the priest, as he entered in to offer our, you know, to, to com- completely offer our sacrifice, if the curtain was to open to the holy place, not the outer courts, but of the holy place, we would see in there, possibly, if you have good eyes, you would see light coming out, light from. The menorah, the candlestick, that one of the daily responsibilities of the priest would be go in to care for each of the seven lamps, which should remind you of the book of Revelation, the seven candlesticks that represent what? The seven churches of Asia Minor, and that those lamps that are in there, when the door, when the when the outer door of the holy place is closed, it's perfect darkness that those lamps shine. And it's interesting because God instructs instructs Aaron to take the menorah and to face it towards the showbread. Twelve loaves of bread with no yeast, sorry. Doesn't make the best bread, not the best-tasting bread anyways. Twelve loaves of bread that represented twelve tribes of Israel. Continually, light shining on, listen, God's presence shining on these loaves of bread. And tonight as you sit here, God's presence is shining on you. His presence, his light is shining on you. And if you hear in my description of this a hint of me telling you to stop trying to be somebody you're not, and simply receive the presence of God into your life, receive the forgiveness of God into your life for your sins, then you are hearing me correctly. We have been translated from each one of us, from the kingdom, from the rule, from the cruelty, from the oppression of Satan, when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we have been placed into the kingdom. Of his son. My friends, that is your identity tonight. That is who you are. But Danny, I don't feel that way. The feelings have to be left aside. And you are to take on the garment of a son and a daughter. My friends, it is all done on your behalf. The third truth I want to share to you is from Second Timothy chapter 2. And Paul is, is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor at Ephesus. This is his last letter to Timothy, and that Paul will die shortly in Rome. But listen to these words in verse 24, 2 Timothy 2 24. And the Lord's servant, Timothy was God's servant, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome or argumentative, but kind to everyone. Now, let me tell you something that's a bit of a challenge for me. I don't know about you. Not quarrelsome, not argumentative, but kind to everyone, able to teach or the ability to explain the scriptures. Lord's servant must be patiently endure evil. That there will be for a period of time until Christ's return, there will be evil in the world, but we are to patiently wait because you and I know, you and I know that Jesus is coming to completely and totally extinguish evil. Verse 25 says, correcting his opponents with gentleness God that God may perhaps grant them that is his opponents might grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth the goal the goal for God's servant is to bring truth to people those who oppose the gospel to bring truth to people in kindness not arguing boy this sounds like quite a list doesn't it but that you and I have the capability in the Holy Spirit to bring truth into every situation, our hope being, our desire being, and that they may come to their senses. That's the same terminology Jesus used in the parable of the prodigal son, that when he was in a faraway land feeding himself on the pods that he was feeding to pigs, that He came to a sense. the idea is that he began to think correctly. So then, if we were to carry this thought out, people who aren't thinking correctly, we gently, we in kindness without arguing with them, share truth with them. We share truth with them verbally, but then we share truth with them in example. That when they treat us one way, we don't treat them the way they would expect by the power of God's Spirit for sure. Listen to this, verse 26 again. And they may come to their senses and escape, escape the snare of the devil. This is spiritual warfare. That they may, the desire is that we would see a change in them that would allow them to be set free from Satan's trap after being captured by him to do his will. So I was raised in a construction family from a very young age. During my summers, I learned how to operate a shovel and, um, and make, make a couple of bucks. And then when I went into construction at the age of 22, I was working at the nuclear plant. And I wasn't pursuing God. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't going to church or to prayer meetings or to gatherings. And there wasn't really anybody in my life who was sharing faith with me. Although I believe, there, I believe now there are probably plenty of Christians around me, and, I, and, and I'm only going to share part of my testimony, but I remember I was walking from one end of the plant to the other. I was a supervisor. I had a pager. It was a couple of years ago, yes. And what would happen is when the main office wanted to get a hold of me, the pager would vibrate. I would go find a phone someplace in the plant. I would call the main office and say, Danny, we need you to go do this, or we need you to go do that. That's how we communicated. But listen to this. Talking about truth. Talking about truth. Listen how powerful God's word is. I was walking this way. Two men were standing off to the side. One man said to the other, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I didn't even slow down. I just kept going. I didn't know that was a scripture. I didn't know it was a verse. And yet it rattled around my head for a day after day after day after day and the truth slowly changed me. Listen to this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul? And sometimes I wonder, some of you have heard me say this, sometimes I wonder if that individual who shared that verse, that truth, that seed and thought he was planting it in one guy, not realizing that that seed jumped over here and landed in this person and bore fruit. Come on. What do you think? Truth against every lie that I was living for. Nobody corrected me. Nobody argued with me. Nobody, nobody explained it. I wasn't curious about Christianity. I didn't really understand Jesus. Jesus. I viewed the churches where you couldn't do this and you couldn't do it. Basically, you couldn't have any fun, at least my estimation of fun. And yet, that gentleman may have gone home that night thinking, I witnessed to my co-worker and nothing happened. And Paul says that they may come to their senses. And that's what happened to me 44 years ago. I believe that people today can be influenced by evil spirits. I don't just think these are stories that come to us from the mission field, although we hear about that. I believe that we are influenced. We, We today, modern, western, educated, sophisticated, with all of our technology, that we come in contact against the resistance of spirits on a daily basis. I believe that these spirits can also not only oppress people, but afflict people. I believe I could could prove that from the pages of Scripture, that we see cases where an individual is afflicted by a spirit. But let me tell you something. When that takes place, that situation is described within the Scripture. So then not all oppression, not all affliction is from the enemy. My My thought is this. The devil trips people up with sin or the temptation to sin. This is something else I believe. You don't have to agree with. The believer, the believer has God's spirit indwelling them, empowering them, the word of God to assist them in saying no to temptation. Let me read to you from James chapter four. Verse seven, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. You know where I'm going with this. Resist the devil and he will flee. You submit yourself to God. You serve God. You confess your sin. You walk with God imperfectly. And when the enemy comes to tempt you, you resist him. You say no or you ask God for help. I ask God for help all the time. And the devil will flee. He will flee. That's what James tells us. Our victory is sure. Our faith is in the finished work of Christ. And again, the emphasis I'm going to share with you tonight has a lot less to do with our ability and the fact that Jesus has done everything for us. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, listen to this. And they, that is the saints that came out of the tribulation, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the cross, my friends. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even even unto death." And so these these first-century Christians within the Roman Empire are hearing from John, having this incredible vision that Satan was defeated by powerless people, at least it looked like like they were powerless on a human level, but their power came from God, but they did so by trusting in this, the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And then their testimony, their story. And that is how they defeated the enemy. I have a quote for you from a pastor named Garrett Kell. And he says this, You will not regret resisting sin. You will never, ever, in the course of your life, ever regret the fact that you have resisted sin. You will regret giving in Chuck Swindoll tells the following story in his book, The Quest for Character, pages 17 and 18. He tells the story of a man who was deer hunting in the wildlife area of Northern California. In in the process of going hunting, he climbed through a rocky gorge. As he was climbing, he lifted his head to look over the ledge and saw something move next to his face. Now, this is gonna get worse. Uh, My grandson wanted to go into the reptile house. Grandma opted out. She went to visit the hummingbird enclosure. So for those of you that visit the hummingbird enclosure uh, over the reptile house, hold on to your your seat. Before he knew it, a rattlesnake, rattlesnake struck, just missing him. The strike was so close, however, that the snake's fangs became snagged in the neck of his sweater. As the snake coiled around the man's neck, yes, it gets worse, he grabbed it just behind the head. A mixture of hissing and rattling filled his ears as he felt warm venom run down his neck. Oh, I love Swindoll. He's so good with these stories. You should read them right before you go to bed at night. You'll have great dreams, I'm sure. So the hunter tried to dislodge the fangs from his sweater, but fell backward and slid down the embankment. He then used his rifle in an attempt to untangle the fangs, freeing the snake, this is something I don't know if he wanted to be so successful at, freeing the snake to strike repeatedly at his face. This is what the man would later say. I had to choke him, the snake, to death. It was the only way out. My friends, in our struggle with sin, Jesus Has crushed the head of the snake. Whatever you're going through, I want you to know tonight that your victory is found in Jesus, not in your ability. That Jesus tonight has crushed the head of the serpent. Let's go ahead and look at our Bible study. We're still in the Galilean ministry that is the the region of Galilee. In verses 23 through 28, we have the Sabbath deliverance. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now, some commentators, some scholars believe that this man has been present the whole time as Jesus is teaching with authority, as Jesus is interpreting Scripture. Others believe that he bursts in, that he comes in while Jesus is teaching. And he, the man, cried out. But it's not the man. It's the man's voice, but it's not the man. And this demon says, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us or to judge us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked or corrected him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out. The manifestation of demons in Jesus' presence represents the displacing of an entrenched enemy. They're being rooted out. Wherever he goes, they're fleeing. Wherever he goes, he's driving them out. There's really no battle. There's really no fight. Jesus comes upon the scene. There's a manifestation of a demon, and immediately he deals with it, and it's gone. These people aren't coming back again and again to be delivered. He deals with it once and for all, it's gone. Remember, he crushes the cross, he crushes the head of the serpent. A mortal wound is delivered. Notice that Jesus does not use incantations or or, or formulas of prayer associated with Jewish exorcism. He is different, and the people who are present know he is different than everyone else. He speaks and they obey. A little bit of thought about this unclean spirit. Luke writes in Luke 4.33 that the man had the spirit of an unclean demon. That's telling. The idea being that on some level the man joined himself to this demon. This was a willing, this was a willing relationship. The man's no victim. Its purpose is to degrade man. That's where the idea of uncleanliness comes in. He's degrading the man. He is using the man. Then he will discard the man. Let me be clear. This man willingly gave himself to sin. It's not that he stumbled like us from time to time. We don't have to fear that when we sin, that something like this will happen. That is an impossibility. Because you have the living God inside of you. This man practiced Habitually gave himself to sin. It's not a moment of weakness. Now, a little speculation here. I'm letting you know this is speculation. I'm knowing that this is Danny's idea on the matter. Unclean infers behavior that renders one ceremonially dis- defiled, which would have been significant to, to, Mar- uh, to, to the Jews here. I also want you to know this. Sexual sin is not beyond a possibility that this man in some way again Speculation but again associated with how the spirit is described Some may ask why does this spirit oppress man? Why do these spirits desire to oppress individuals? It's because we are hated by them They know that we are created in God's image and being created in God's image and looking to God, their desire is to pervert what God has created. When it says here of the spirit that it cried out, it cried out it cried out in terror. This spirit is afraid. This spirit is afraid because Jesus has finally come. There's a passage again in James, this time chapter 2, verse 19, where James, to his readers who are believers, says, you believe that there is one, that God is one. You believe, you have faith, that there is one God, that he is one. And he says, you do well. So he gives them a bit of a compliment, doesn't he? But then he says this, even the demons believe and shudder. That is, even the demons have correct, correct theology or doctrine but they shudder. Demons know that God's judgment is certain, and that's why I believe this demon cried out, causing them to shudder or bristle in fear. Again, there is no battle here. There's no long drawn out exorcism, not like we are led to believe. When Jesus comes on the scene, as you have read, he simply commands it to leave. In Revelation chapter 10, 20 tells us, that these demons are doomed to the lake of fire and they understand and they know that. So then the demon speaks through the man's voice literally saying we have nothing in common Jesus we have nothing to do with you and it's important for you to know that here tonight that there is absolutely nothing in common between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There is no there is no point of agreement that there are two entirely different kingdoms, two entirely different realms. Abraham uh, Kuyper said of Jesus, there's not one square inch on planet Earth over which the risen Christ does not say, mine, I rule it, I am supreme over it. It's interesting that he calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to see that this spirit has a level of intelligence. That he has knowledge. And I want you to see also, before we move on, how Jesus deals with him. He basically tells the spirit, shut up and get out. That's it. No conversation, no arguing. You shut up and you get out and he leaves the man immediately and the demon protests a bit convulsing him and crying out in a loud voice came out i believe i believe mark would experience a level of frustration if as people left church that day, granted it was the Sabbath and it was synagogue, they spoke about the demons leaving the man and not about Jesus' power and authority. We are impressed with Jesus. We have no level, we have no degree of being impressed by this demon. Instead, the story points to Jesus. The spirit is minuscule in comparison with God. It's a perversion of what God initially created as holy. Mark wants our attention to focus on Jesus. Let me read to you a couple of verses. Um, The first one is from Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Listen to this verse. The God of peace, this is obviously the conclusion of his letter. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. the grace of the, our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then Jude, Jude has a very, you now Jude is one chapter and verse nine, he has a very, very interesting uh, account and it's important for us to know that when we look at Jude that he's refuting false teachers and he uses this comparison. Well, let, me, let me read it to you. I think it'll be a little more understanding, easier to understand. So then in Jude chapter, uh, there is no chapter, Jude verse nine says, but, But when the archangel, Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now now Jude's point is that these false teachers were arguing and yelling at these these angelic entities, And, and so Jude uses Michael's interaction with the devil, and that Michael withstood the devil simply in Jesus' authority which is evidenced by obedience. You can look at verses 27 and 28 and then we can say finally. And they were all amazed that is the people that were present so that they questioned among themselves saying what is this? A new teaching with authority. Remember we married last week and this week's accounts together. He commands even this unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So after a very, very different Sabbath service, the people begin to quiz themselves. There's a a discussion going back and forth between, between the various leaders. There would have been rulers of the synagogue. There would have been men of the community. There would have been individuals who would have been looking at each other. Jesus is still present. The man in his right mind and they would have been saying who is this he teaches with power and authority he he speaks to a demonic entity and listen it obeys him it does what he says let me press pause the account before us is for us And we look at Jesus, maybe because of familiarity, we go, yeah, we know he taught, yeah, we know he did miracles, yeah, we know he he delivered people from demonic entities, but he's doing that today. Through the pages of scripture for you and me, he is teaching as one who has authority, and if you believe he has authority, then you're enamored with Jesus' authority that is seen in his perfect obedience. Why do you say that, Danny? because Adam fell. Mm. Noah had his weakness represented in the pages of Scripture. Moses struck the rock. We have Abraham and his issues and his family, the patriarchs. I don't know, counseling, right? I mean, come on now. Each and every individual that through the pages of Scripture in some way is revealed as being flawed until the final Adam appears and walks in an authority that is associated with his obedience. And Mark says, listen, almost done, finally. Mark says, you can trust in him. You can trust in him. Every other man will let you down, but this man has come to set you free from sin and the devil, and he will. He will. These people were blindsided, blindsided, if you will, by Jesus's fresh method of teaching, his authoritative interpretation of Scripture and now over evil spirits. They were all amazed the word amaze is an emotional response which will in time fade. I think we've all experienced it. So we see a group of people who at the, all at the same time were struck with wonder. That is also what the word means, they were struck with wonder. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not a, a personality in a pulpit or a celebrity within Christianity. It's about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. The other thing I want you to see here is he deals with the individual. He doesn't line them up and slap them and going down. like Boom, 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 boom. He deals with the individual. His authority, uh, his authority is seen in his obedience, which gives you faith in him, but that he will deal with you by looking into your eyes and asking you your name, and he will meet your every need. Mark wants you to see God in the flesh who cares for you. God wants you to see in the same way that I care about my grandson, somebody who will protect and watch over you. And the kingdom of darkness flees from his presence. I want you to see this in closing. The demon was terrified because Jesus is judge. The people were amazed because Jesus is our savior. He's no longer a baby in a manger or a toddler worshiped by wise men. He's no longer an adolescent engaging teachers in the temple, and everyone is amazed. God is in your presence now. God is here, and He's in our presence now, and He is here to save and to heal and to deliver. Not a man, not a woman, not a ministry. Jesus is the one who is here to heal. He is the one here to save. He is the one to deliver. And my friends, his actions require worship. His actions require worship. C.S. Lewis said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for Jesus' kingdom. And then it goes on to say, and then we're done, verse 28. And at once his fame spread everywhere. The idea is that news of Jesus spread word of mouth throughout the region. Everywhere, people were talking about Jesus and what he did. Every village was saturated with stories of what Jesus did in the synagogue at Capernaum. Everywhere, everywhere, the word was, he's come to us. He's not down in Jerusalem. He's not down in the temple. He's not in the seminaries. He's not in the he's not in the." the, the, the theological study centers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he's come to us. He's come to be with us. He wants to be with us. And the people could not stop talking about Jesus. And that is us. We cannot stop talking of a God, or oh God, who would cause a conversation as a young 22-year-old, very ambitious young man very hurting and damaged young man who was ruled over by his own sin who served sin to his utmost that he made sure that that young man would hear a part of a verse that would roll around his little head until he was delivered from the kingdom of darkness was delivered from his sin and he was grafted in He was grafted into God's family. By way of application, this week, think about these things. The first thing is Jesus' authority is seen or witnessed in his perfect obedience to the Father. There is for you great confidence in knowing that Jesus is the final Adam, that he is perfect. Secondly, that Jesus' power, not his authority, his power is seen in his liberating the oppressed. If you are oppressed in any way, he has come to set you free. Then lastly, as the worship team comes out and we spend some time worshiping, Jesus' name is on the lips of those touched by his love. Jesus' name will continually be on our lips. And I know, I know, that we admire individuals and we admire ministries, but might we not admire anyone as much as we admire Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.